moment in your word this morning. We just pray that you would speak to us through your word and by your spirit. Uh, We desire more than information. We desire that you would continue to transform us into the people that you've called us to be. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as has been mentioned, yes, we're uh, into the third week of our sermon series on the core five, which is uh, the, the, the five values of the Baptist Association of New South Wales and the ACT, of which we're a part of. And the, the intention of this is to sort of help us understand what we value, what we value uh, as a church, as a, as a movement, and how we operate within those, those values. So I'm just going to quickly go through these five values. So three weeks ago, we started it off by looking at um, the first value, which was being Christ-centered, Christ-centered, having Christ at the center of our, our church, of our being, and of our lives. Uh, two weeks ago, Paul um, led us on what it means to be mission-shaped, to be shaped for mission. And so today we're going to be looking at uh, what it means to be relationally committed. That's the third one of these values of the uh, Baptist Association of New South Wales and the ACT. Quickly, just to give you a snapshot of the next couple of weeks, next week is going to be people empowering. Steve's going to look at that one. Lastly, we're going to be looking at what it means to be partnership orientated. So today we're going to be looking at these values, what it means to be relationally committed. Now, uh, according to the, the, the Associate, Baptist Association of New South Wales and the ACT, they bring up four subpoints which we're going to talk about. We're not going to dwell on them today. I'm going to focus on the passage from 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 is where we're going to be spending most of our time this morning. But according to the, the, the values of our, of our movement is, what it means to be relation, like, relationally committed is this serving each other and working together, honouring the varied expression of our faith and practice and our cultural diversity. We're different people, we come from different backgrounds and yet we all work and serve one another. It also means to actively promote healthy unity through mutual collaboration, transparency and accountability. We do what we can to work together. Thirdly, prioritising authentic relationships over programs and structures. There's nothing wrong with programs and structures, but relationships, authentic relationships, should take priority over them. We could all agree with that. And lastly, the fourth point is honouring marriage as an institution created by God as a foundation for a lifelong faithful union of a man and a woman. There are the four sub-points. Today, though, I'm, I'm going to be looking at what it means to be relationally committed, what it means to be committed to one another here within this church and across our, our wider movement. And today, as I've said, we're, we're looking particularly at 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. 1 John chapter 4, 7 to 21. Cassandra le- read that out just a moment ago, and that's where we're going to dwell today. Now, I'm going to confess that um, for quite a while I've had a, a quirky little game in my head for quite a number of years. Confession time. You might not want to have me as your pastor after this, but um, many, many years ago, I often wondered when has been the moment when I have been the greatest distance 
from another human being. What was the moment in my life when physical distance means I was the furthest away? Now, there's been times when I've gone bushwalking, but most of the time when I've gone bushwalking or, or socially walking, I've been with other people, so that doesn't really count, and I haven't done much bushwalking on my own. Um, there's been times when I may have driven from point A to point B, and I may have been on my own, but most of the time I was with other people. I, I told you this was weird, didn't I? There was a moment, a bit over 20 years ago, when I was driving down to pick up Angie. Uh, Angie lives down on the border of New South... Uh, used to live with her fa family on the, the uh, border of New South Wales and um, Victoria near Mildura, a place called Euston. And I was driving there on my own. And there was a moment I was driving at night. Anybody who's been down that way, there's a, a, a road that goes from Hay to Balranald. It's west, it's out in the middle of western south... New South Wales and there's nothing between Hay and Balranald for about 130 kilometres. I was driving at night there is no mobile phone reception probably not now, certainly wasn't 20 plus years ago and I felt very, very alone, very vulnerable on your own at night no phone reception, driving between point A and point B and I would calculate, I may be wrong but I would calculate that that is the moment when I have been the most separated from any other human being since I've been alive. What about you? Have you ever played that game? Probably not. You've got a life to live, haven't you? Um, you know, but think about that. When, when, when would have been the time when you would have been most alone physically? Apparently the most alone person in history is a guy called Mike Collins. Does anyone know who Mike Collins is? If I said, does anyone know who Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin is? You'd be going, oh, yeah. They were the first people to set foot on, on, on the moon. Well, Mike Collins was the third person of the trio who commanded the, the commander module, which orbited the moon, and he dropped off. Sounds simple, doesn't he? Just dropped off Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin and he continued to circle the moon for 28 hours waiting for them to do their business so he could pick them up again. There was a moment on his own when he was orbiting the moon, the dark side of the moon where no one had been before, on his own, tens of thousands of kilometres. The, the, the diameter of the, of the moon away from the closest people but quarter of a million kilometers away from anybody else the most alone person in history not even tom hanks with his volleyball on a remote island could beat that one could he or even matt damon in the martian movie that wasn't a true story by the way um, but there there have been times when people have been alone now why why is this a profound thing why is it that to be alone is so significant. I'll give you a clue. We were created to be relational. We were created to connect with other people. There are times when we don't want to be around other people, but in essence, we are created to be in a relationship. And so when we're not, it becomes significant. But to be in a relationship requires a commitment and love. Now, in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 
to 21. John fleshes this out and in today's passage he gives six reasons to be committed relationally to each other in love. And I want to make this point. It means to be relational is to love others. You would all agree with that. You you can't really be properly in an authentic relationship unless there's a level of love and commitment to one another. So as we look at today's passage, I want to just step it through six ways I believe that we're called to be relational to each other. And the, the first one is this. The first is because God is love. God is a relational being, is he not? And this is how John starts out this passage by saying this. Seven, verses 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from where? Comes more than just here. It comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not go God, because God is love. And when we talk about love, we're not just talking about this nice feeling. In essence, it's kind of God's character. God is a relational God and he creates relational people. He is a a triune God, an interrelational being, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Even right back at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, God declares, "Let, let us, let us make man in our image. A trying God in relationship, creating people for relationship with each other and with him. Relationship with God, relationship with each other. And so when John says God is love, it's, it's more than just a statement about a noun. It's, it's an activity. It's something that we do. Now, to give you an example of all of this, take, for example, a battery. A battery is full of potential, is it not? A whole 1.5 volts of potential in this particular case. And so you could say that this battery can do an amazing thing. You can put it into an appliance and and make it work. But without connection to something, is this battery any good? If you don't connect it to anything, that potential does what? Nothing. Nothing. It's designed, this battery is designed to be connected so that current will flow and produce some activity. Love requires a circuit in the same way, doesn't it? I could say that I'm full of love, but unless I interact with anybody else, what good is that love? I could say I'm full of love when I was driving across the Hay Plains 20-something years ago, but what, where, how? Now, of course, you could say, well, yeah, you still had your relationship with God and a point taken. Thank you. Um, But you've got to realize connection is something to something else. And this love, where does it start? It starts with God. God is the originator of love, self-giving, sacrificial. Our connection with God aids us then in our love with other people. And that brings us to our second reason. So the first reason, God is relational, God is love. Second point this, and we've picked this up in verses 9 to 11. God loves us. I didn't have to explain that one to you. You knew that, didn't you? Let's have a look at this. How do we know that God loves us? And what proof is there that God loves us? Picking this up in verse 9. 
This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to, ought to love one another. So here it is. What is the greatest? What is the greatest expression of God's love? Sending his son. Would you not agree? This is what John says here. God denying himself, sending his son for us. And in many respects, the life of Jesus, we read that in the Gospels, the life of Jesus reveals the heart of God. Now, note the boldness here in in John's words. He says, this is love. He says, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. We can't lay claim to initiating love. Love is not so much what we do for him, but it's what he has done for us. Think about that in a similar way for loving parents with children. If they're stuck in the middle of the road and a, and a car is barreling before them, what would a loving parent do, themselves or their children? Who do they think of first? A loving parent would think of their children. They would be willing to sacrifice their, themselves for their children. Since God gave of himself, then we're encouraged to give of ourselves. Since God is a relational God, we are relational people. The third reason, we, we pick this up in verse 12, and we see that not only is God relational and he loves us, others see that love. Now, how do, other, how do people see the love of God? Some people will say, oh, well, we could see it by looking at creation. You look out there and you go, how wonderful is that? And to a certain extent, that's, that, that is what happens. People can see the handiwork of God and see the detail and the effort that he has done to draw us in and show him of his heart. But I think there's another way. And we see this in verse 12. No one has ever seen God, John writes, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. How do you feel about that? That there are some people who the only love of God that they will really see will be in the way in which you love them. No, no pressure, no pressure, but that could be the only experience that they have of God's love. Now think about it. Don't you think that that is incredibly risky of God to say that I'm going to invest my love into you and I'm going to encourage you to, to show that love to other people? As we love one another, we relationally commit to each other and God's love is shown it it it, it kind of the way in which many people will experience the love of God for themselves that then has got to be the best outreach strategy isn't it if we want to see people come to Jesus the best way is for us to love each other you need some convincing I mean 
more than food bank, the food bank was a fantastic initiative that we had where we're connecting with people. We can have barbecues and brekkie churches and cafe churches and we can have fun days and we can do this program and that program and we can have this and we can have that. But if we don't love one another, it all comes to nothing. Isn't that one of the sub-points that we read about as a core value? Authentic relationships over program and structures. Now, in all of this, I'm not saying that we get rid of all the programs and we get rid of all the structures. I'm not saying that. But if there's no love that is being exhibited within those programs, if not loving one another, if we barely tolerate each other while we're trying to run outreach programs, how's that, how do you reckon that's going to go? This, though, reminds us where to put our greatest energies in our relationships with each other because others will see that love. Fourth point is this, and we grow in that love. We read this from verse 13 through to verse 16. We, we grow, and, and John says this. He says, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Being loved and responding to his love is are our Christian practice. And note John here says that we have, we have seen and so we testify, we tell others. We, we grasp God's love and we, we grow in it as we love others. As we respond to God's love and we love others, we grow in our understanding of God's love. Do we not? As we understand love, we understand what sacrifice means. We grow and understand the sacrifice he has made for us. Therefore, putting it the other way, if we disconnect from others... It makes us hard for us to grow in faith and love, doesn't it? If we don't experience loving others, experience the love of others, experience the opportunity to sacrifice others, it's hard for us to grow. Now I know people get disillusioned with the church and to a certain extent, it, I, I can understand why things happen. We get hurt, we get in conflict and there are people who say, well, it'd be much better to save me getting hurt. I'll isolate myself from Christians. I've heard the story. I, I think Jesus is okay. I just don't like his followers. And so if I just disconnect from all of the other people and I just have this relationship to God, that'll be okay and I'll play it safe. But according to this passage here, if we don't have the opportunity to love others or we refuse to love others, we don't grow as well, do we? We don't exercise that which God has given us. If God is relational, we are called to be relational. Now, is it easy? I'd love to survey every one of you. Is it easy? No. No. <laughs> it takes hard work. And we get disappointed. And the temptation is, I'll just withdraw 
But there are no shortcuts. When we respond to God's love by sacrificially loving others, we will grow. And we give the opportunity for other people to grow as well. I, I, think, I honestly think that one of Satan's greatest strategies for the church is to get people to be disillusioned about the church. And you see it happen over and over and over to separate themselves. Fifth reason is this, and we pick this up in verse 17. Love is bigger than fear. God's love does some powerful things in our life. Let's, let's read verses 17 and 18 again. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. When you know that you are loved, it gives strength over fear, doesn't it? Now, when you, when you know that you're loved by a significant other person, be it your spouse or a friend or a parent, you know, a, a, a child who knows that they are loved by committed parents, it's, it's hard for fear to envelop them, isn't it? That gives them strength and, and confidence. Now, think about this. Was Jesus' death on the cross easy? Not at all. We, we see the, the, the pain and the, and the trauma that went through Jesus. Yet Jesus could face death and he overcame fear because of his love. The love of God was perfected in him. We read this. And in the same way, when we are loved, when we are loved by God and we respond to the love of God, we, we, we get that. We get that we are loved. And, and we love others and they love us, we can face many things. And especially when we're known we're loved by God, death doesn't have that fear anymore, does it? If we know that God has us, we can face death with confidence. I'll, t- I'll tell you right now, I'm not looking forward to the day that I die just to let you know but there's a sense of confidence to know that when it does happen because I'm loved God's got that all in his hands doesn't he you agree with me in that just this week I was uh, listening to the ABC radio yep that just goes to show what generation I live in now listening to the ABC radio they had talk back and they were interviewing an astronomer and they do this uh, quite regularly. They interview astronomers and they talk about the latest findings, the James Webb Telescope and what's happening here and what's happening there and everything like that. And they got onto, as they were talking about you know, new discoveries, the presenter got onto asking the astronomer, is there life out there? You know, more than just the Earth, is there life out there? And the, the whole conversation took this really interesting turn. I don't know whether it was planned. But the astronomer responded by saying, he says, I've got this great fear. And the presenter's going, what do you mean? And he says, there's two possibilities. The two possibilities are this, is that there could be life out there besides Earth, but they're not friendly, right? 
And the second fear I have is that there's no other life out there and we are all alone. And he went on to say this, and I'm dead set serious. He says, this astronomer says, I confess that I lay awake at night in fear over both of these possibilities. Oh, Think about this. Here's a learned, intelligent man who lies awake at night with the fear that there are non-friendly entities out there who could come and overtake us at any point. Or the other point is that we are completely alone in the whole universe. And I think, dread the thought... Now, maybe it's because I've been a Christian for 40 plus years or anything like that, but I'm wrapping my head around to understand that because I've just come to know that we are not alone, that there is a God who loves us, who's a relational God, who wants a relationship with me and wants me to be in relationship with other people. And not only that, he's a friendly God. He's a God of love. So whether there's other life out there on other planets or not, you know where my confidence lies? My confidence doesn't lie in how far the telescopes can go and whether they can pick up life or not, or whether they're friendly or whether they're hostile or whatever, or whether we're completely alone from other aliens. I know that there's a God who holds a whole universe in his hand and I'm loved by him. Hey? I must admit, I had, to, I had to pull over as I was driving back that night when I was going, I've got to write this down as this astronomer is saying these things. And I think, how many other people out there have got that attitude? They feel completely alone and completely useless. How would you like to live like that? No, thank you. Because love, the love of God gives us that confidence, which leads us to my very final point, and that is this. Let me go through it again. First point, God is relational. God is love, and God loves us. Second point, others see that love, right? We grow in that love. Love is bigger than our fears. And the last point is we love. Why? Because we are loved. Because we're loved by God, we will love others. It's almost like John completes the full circle. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God who they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Bang, that hits us right between the eyes, doesn't it? Sorry? Barry, you're my brother. Di, you're my sister. <laughs> you work that one. And, and, and look, we, we are called to love. Okay? Now, I know you're talking about just loving here outside. I think primarily he's talking about loving those within. But it's, love will motivate us to go beyond these walls, won't it? Okay? And if there are any respects, it's the way in which we show our love to each other that will shine the light of Christ to other people. We cannot be relational with God if we are unwilling to commit relationally with each other. God is a relational God, calls us into a relationship with him and to each other. People, you have to love me. 
Oh, thank you. And here's the rub. Oh. <laughs> oh, I have to love you. And it's more, yeah, and it's, it's more than just nice feelings. It's a commitment to one another. We relationally commit to each other through the good times and also the bad times. Is it easy? No. Do people upset us? Yes. Do people annoy me? Oh, no, no one in this room, surely. But God, here's the thing. Do, do, do we reckon we annoy God? Oh, it's hard to answer, really, sometimes. But look, God is so patient with us, isn't it? Even when we do silly things, even when we turn our back on him, he's so patient with us. He doesn't give up on us. And so if he doesn't give up on us, why would we give up on each other? Hmm? And so as we look at this passage, and as we say, what does it mean? That, what are the things that we value here? We value each other. Our, our, our primary value, if you want to talk about it, is being Christ-centered. Christ is at the center of everything that we do as a church and as people or whatever. But we commit ourselves relationally to each other. And we can see if we want to see people transformed by the love of Christ to a large extent, they're going to be transformed by seeing what Christ has done for them through the love that we show for each other. And so what I want to do today is... We're going to conclude today's sermon by sharing in communion. And I think it is quite appropriate that we've been talking about the greatest act of love that God has shown us by sending his son and it was through the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood on the cross. That incredible amazing act of love is what's enabled us to be in this relationship with him and so I invite anybody whether you worship regularly here or not if you love the Lord Jesus you you desire to be transformed by his love we encourage you to participate by taking a piece of biscuit which represents his body and uh, a cup of juice which represents his his blood and we will eat and drink together to be reminded of his love the fact that he loved us first all love all genuine love originates from him so our first point of focus will be thank you god for sending your son jesus that as we eat from this biscuit and drink from this cup we are reminded again of your blood and your body which was broken and your blood shed for us out of extraordinary, self-giving, sacrificial love. But you know, I was, I was thinking about us sharing in communion together and I sort of thought, but we're not in little bubbles here. We're in a community, aren't we? And I, I tried this a, a few months ago and I encouraged you all to take communion and share it with one another and it it got a little bit messy. People didn't know who they were supposed to be giving and receiving and I got two of them and you only got one and I've got to find someone else who hasn't got it and everything like that. And it got a little bit chaotic and so I thought, we've got to make it easier. And then I thought about it and I thought, now hang on, 
relationships are messy. So, so what, what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do, and this could go completely pear-shaped, but see, hear the heart in this, will you? All right, what we're going to do is we're going to share in communion together and we're going to have two stations, one down the front here and one down the back. And in your own time, you're going to go and take uh, a cup and a piece of biscuit but you're going to give it to someone else. And you may already have one and you've given it to someone else and they, some people want to give you two and there's someone out there that's missing out. I want you to look around and find out who, who, who do I need to connect with in all of this? Okay, it may take time. It may be a little bit noisy. It may be a little bit chaotic and I hope you express that this, I'm not intentionally doing this uh, in order to create chaos. All I'm doing is saying that we're partaking in this because we have been transformed by the love of God and the love of God will compel us to love one another. And in some ways, a symbolic expression of the fact that we're going to be on the lookout for one another to make sure that they are blessed in this activity as well. Does that make sense? I don't know what it's going to look like, but let's just do it together. Let's just share and eventually we'll make our way back to our seats and we can eat of the biscuit and together we will drink of, of the cup. Maybe it's helpful as you go to give that to someone else. Are there some words that you could say that would be helpful? And I thought about saying, you know, I love you, but that could sound a little bit... So, yeah, so I thought as an expression of love, you could just say, I'm committed to you. I'm committed to you. I'm committed to you. If that helps you at all otherwise don't feel embarrassed in any way anyway but let's just share these elements with one another be on the lookout for those who have not been shared with and let's see if we can do this together in an honorable way let me pray heavenly father we thank you we thank you for your love transforming love sacrificial self-giving love we thank you that that love would send Jesus to the cross. And as we spend a moment eating and drinking together in remembrance of what Christ has done for us, may that love transform us as we seek to love one another. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.